You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. All right, so uh, my name is Carlos, and I'm a church planting resident uh, with uh, Sojourn Heights. Um, looking to, by God's grace, in the future, uh, plant uh, a new local expression of the church in East End Houston. Um, and today, uh, as you just heard, read, we're in a pretty grim text, um, so we have a lot to cover. I'll go verse by verse, just joking, I'm not, <laughs> not going verse by verse, no. I want to extract uh, kind of the main theme um, of this text and uh, see what the Lord might uh, have for us. So as, as, um, as Reed said, uh, we've been in this uh, book of Lamentations, uh, our second week Really, um, this is the third sermon, even though Ash Wednesday was kind of short, uh, but, you know, kind of the, the Lent season, which began in uh, Ash Wednesday, and uh, kind of this season where we're diving into Lamentations to uh, understand or to learn from Scripture what it looks like for us to be a people uh, who lament in a biblical way. Uh, and so today, we, we find ourselves in this passage, in the second poem in this book of poems, uh, so let me jump right in. Let me give us some context uh, to this passage before we, we dive into kind of the theme of this, of this text. So uh, this, this second lament, right, it, it, uh, it focuses on, on the intense suffering, on the, the great suffering that was inflicted on Jerusalem, on the people of Israel by God himself. So we see in Lamentations 2.5, it says that God has become like an enemy to them. And the emphasis is on this wrath of the divine uh, warrior, right? kind of this motif of the divine warrior that is unleashed against his people. And, but the poet here, uh, Jeremiah, right, has, has no illusions that, that, that they have been innocent. Like he is very aware um, that this anger is warranted and justified because they have sinned. And while uh, this divine warrior imagery can be found throughout Lamentations, in Lamentations 2 is where it's most evident. But not only that, elsewhere in Scripture, we see throughout uh, the Bible that God is often depicted as this divine warrior fighting for the cause of Israel, fighting for Israel against the enemies of God. Uh, but we, we come to a passage where that has turned on its head. And now this divine warrior is not fighting for Israel, but is fighting against Israel. And in that strange twist, uh, we see uh, God's judgment. But even in the midst of this uh, grim picture of judgment, we, we will see how God still remained faithful to his character. We'll see also that even in this grim circumstance of, of hard judgment, because God remains faithful to his character and to his covenant, he is the only one that we can turn to in lament. And we'll still see a glimpse of hope in this passage. We'll see that because God is faithful, we can lament with hope. Because God is faithful, we can lament with hope. And listen to what uh, Song Chan Ra says in his book called Prophetic Lament. He says, God remains the only source of present and future hope, even as he stands as the righteous source of judgment. And so this morning, uh, through his word, we'll see that if God remained faithful, 
to his covenant promise of judgment for disobedience. Even more so will he stay faithful to his covenant promise of blessing and restoration. As I said, because God is faithful, we can lament with hope. And so look at verse 19 with me. I'll read it for you. It says, arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. So the call here at Jerusalem uh, is called to pour out their heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Jerusalem has experienced uh, this kind of communal destruction, right, and, and is now suffering together. And so Jeremiah instructs the people of God to pour out their hearts like water, to lament the state of things in Jerusalem. And in verses 1 through 10, we see the devastation that he talks about. He describes it. He, he doesn't gloss over it. He takes time to describe kind of the, the devastation and the, the dark picture that he paints of where Jerusalem is. What does this look like? It looks like Jerusalem's kings and priests being killed. Her elders and leaders are silent. It says that they throw dust on their heads, so they're in mourning. Her prophets are useless now because they never told their people to repent. There's no rest for Jerusalem. The institutions God has established, that being of the king, of the priest, and of the prophet, have been destroyed. The palaces have been swallowed up. The strongholds are in ruins. There's no more meeting place. So the temple, uh, there's no more sanctuary, no more altars where they would meet with God. Those have been destroyed. And what has been done to Jerusalem at the hands of the Lord is indeed painful. And so therefore the prophet Jeremiah calls, calls him in verse 19 to pour out their heart pour out their heart before the Lord out of their suffering, to fall before him in prayer and to pour out their words like water. And in our, in our lives today, maybe, maybe there are some things for us that we have yet to properly lament. And we can, we can take um, from Jeremiah's example um, for our own life. He he, he depicted the, the grim state of Jerusalem, and he described it. And so he didn't gloss over it. And so maybe, maybe, maybe today, maybe there are some things as we've been walking through this season of, of Lent that you, you're finding that you have yet to lament or grieve over some brokenness in your life, whether it be past, whether it be the present. Or maybe it was a future that you had hoped for your whole life, that something tragic happened and now you see your future totally different because of something that happened out of your control. And you haven't taken the time to properly grieve those losses. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's, as uh, Joseph was saying, um, maybe, maybe we've glossed over some sin in our life and we have yet to confront the real issue I have yet to lament over our sin and repent from it and grow, grow from it, heal from it, and grow in holiness. And so uh, he calls us 
uh, he calls Israel, and by extension, um, we can take that and, and, and say that he calls us to lament in prayer. But why did all this happen? Why did, why did the destruction to Israel happen? I know we, we touched on it um, last week, right? Lamentations 1. I want to go back to it uh, for a brief moment and just kind of dig deeper into why they're in the state that they're in. And so Lamentations 1 verse 3 says this. It says, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. And so this is pointing to Jeremiah 34. This is pointing to uh, specifically verses 8 through 22 where the Lord reveals to them through Jeremiah that they will be exiled to Babylon because of their disobedience. So let, let me explain this for a bit. The people of God had oppressed and afflicted their own people. And so they had slaves under them, right? S- uh, servants that were um, in bondage to them. Uh, and God, on the year of Jubilee, commands his people to let all of this, these uh, f- uh, fellow Hebrews go free. And they did do that. And, and you can go back and read on your own time in Jeremiah 34. The Israelites did do that. They let go their Hebrew slaves. Only, though, to af- after having done that, to go back and place them back under harsh affliction and servitude. And so they, they were unjust to their own people. They afflicted their own people. And because of that, because of that, God says in verse 17 in Jeremiah 34, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ye have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, even one to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, declares the Lord. And now I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. So because God's people afflicted their brothers and sisters and went against God's command, God purposed to destroy their cities and send them to exile. He says that he'll, uh, in verse 22, he'll make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. And then you see back to in Lamentations 1, verses 8 and 18, where uh, the, the prophet knows very well that they were being punished because they sinned grievously and rebelled against God's word. So then we see that God's judgment upon Israel was actually a promise that he was fulfilling. And he was being faithful to his covenant that he had established with Israel. And so in this sense, when we look at chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. So God was doing what he had purposed long ago. And as we, as we look at ourselves today, right, why, why is there need to lament for us? Because of the same reason that they were lamenting, because of sin. And as I, and I said earlier, it could be sin that was committed against you. Maybe you grew up in a broken family. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there's some abandonment issues that you have yet to deal with. Or maybe it's the weight of your own sin. And I really love what, again, what Joseph said. It's 
It's the grace of God that leads us to repentance. And so when we open up our life and begin to share, man, this is where I'm broken. And that's where the grace of God meets you. Not judgment, but grace. And our world's brokenness must be lamented as well, right? We know that we live in a broken world. We live in a divided world, city, nation, regardless of what side you're on. Like we, we can all agree that there's brokenness and that it shouldn't be this way. And while we must lament the, 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 the brokenness around us, again, here we, we're called ultimately to learn how to lament over our own sin that we've committed because it's easy to point fingers, right, at the brokenness around us, but um, we, we understand because sin entered into this world through one man, because sin entered and then affected all men, that all of us are the problem. Like I'm, I'm the problem as much as you are because we're all broken. And so God calls us to lament over our own sin. And because it is our own sin that we'll have to give an account for on that day when we stand before God. And so what does this do? Well, in light of our sin and the weight of all that we've done to rebel against God's word and sin grievously, it leaves us begging for a way out. It leaves us begging for someone to clear us of judgment. Why? Because we know that God will do what he purposed. We know that in Scripture, he is faithful to judge disobedience. And in chapter 2, we see how God did what he purposed back then by laying waste Jerusalem, right? Doing away with their festivals and Sabbaths and celebrations in the temple and destroying Jerusalem. Ultimately, he was fulfilling He was fulfilling his promise in Jeremiah 34, yes, but we can even go back further. And in Deuteronomy 28, God talks about his covenant blessings and curses, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience under the covenant that Israel was in. So God remained faithful to his covenant found in Deuteronomy 28 for judgment towards disobedience. And and these descriptions and go back and read when you have time in Deuteronomy 28 uh, of God's curses uh, in Deuteronomy 28, written by Moses, uh, are found also in 2 Kings 25, hundreds of years later when Jerusalem falls. And so it is that that then Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations puts into poetry. So the result of their sin, which you can also find in 2 Kings 25, Jeremiah begins to lament and writes it into poetry. And these curses in Deuteronomy are the word that God had commanded long ago, and he did what he purposed indeed against Jerusalem. The question for us today, though, is is how how does God resolve it for us? How does God resolve this for us? We, we, We see Jesus and his gospel entering into this answer into this question. Without Jesus, we know that there is no hope. Without him, we know that there is always destruction for those who are outside of being in Christ. And in Lamentations 2, 
verses 2 and 5, Jeremiah writes that the Lord has swallowed up without mercy all of the habitations of Jacob, and that the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. But then, in, if we jump into the New Testament, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus swallowed up death in victory. Brothers and sisters, so while Jerusalem was swallowed up in death by God's judgment, Jesus was swallowed up in death. I'm sorry, Jesus swallowed up death in victory, bearing the judgment on behalf of sinners like you and me. And then we see in verse 8, chapter 2, in Lamentations, that the Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. So he, he broke their walls. And in those days, to have the walls of a city shattered and broken uh, meant that that city had been taken over, had been conquered by another ruler. But where Jerusalem, where God tears down the wall of Jerusalem, of their protection, Jesus tears down the veil of separation when we see in Matthew 27, 51 that it says that the curtain of the temple, when he died on that cross, the curtain of the temple was, was torn from top to bottom. So God tears down this wall of protection for Israel, but Jesus, for us today, tears down this veil of separation. And because of that, because of that, now there is access for us to enter into his presence and pour out our heart before him. Pour out our heart before his presence. Isaiah 53 tells us the reason. It, because it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus on our behalf. So if you, if you go back when you have time and read Deuteronomy 28 and read all of the curses that God promised in judgment for disobedience. All of, the, all of the, the judgment that we here today deserve because of our disobedience. God turning his back on us. God pronouncing judgment, separation from him. God pronouncing destruction for sin. On the cross, Christ was the one that bore all of that. On the cross, it was the Father who turned his back on him. On the cross, it was Christ who suffered the destruction that we deserve. And so th this leads us to a very honest question for some of, the, some of us in the room here that, that maybe uh, up to this point, um, you've, been, you've been coming around and, and, and you like the community and that's great. Um, but you have to wrestle today with this question of have you placed your trust in Jesus? Have you been found safe and secure under the umbrella of his grace of protection? Has your sin been dealt with? Because God will do what he purposed. And while we see brokenness in our world Today, one day, all of us will stand before, before God. And on that day, 
there will only be two kinds of people. There will be those who are in Christ and those who are not. For the Christian, the destruction was put on Jesus. And those who have yet to place their faith in him, that the weighty truth of Scripture is that, is that there still remains destruction for you outside of Christ. But there is grace in Christ. There is grace to put your faith in him even today. And so then, in light of this, in light of Christ taking upon himself destruction for us, how do we live today? How do we lament today? Knowing that ultimately destruction has been done away with. And while, yes, we will still go through discipline, right, for disobedience, the beauty of it is, brothers and sisters, is no matter how painful the discipline, if you are in Jesus, may be, we know that there remains no more judgment for us. God will never turn his back on his children. So no matter how painful the suffering is, no matter how far you may feel from God right now, if you are in Christ, the truth stands that God will never turn his back on you, no matter what you've done. This means that now, today, we can lament honestly. And we can be open honestly with our brokenness. We can be real, uncut, and raw with our brokenness, with each other and with God. We don't need to put a bow on top of our lament. Um, I think sometimes we, and personally I'm guilty of this as well, you know, if I'm going through something difficult, I, I begin to share with someone that I may, you know, bump into on a Sunday gathering and say, you know, I've been really struggling with this and uh, yeah, just, you know, but, but, but I'm, I'm good, I'm, it's good. Uh, I remember one time one person told me, you don't, you don't have to put a bow on top of that. Like, if, if, it's, if you're having a tough time, then it's okay to say that you're having a tough time. You don't have to somehow reconcile that and say, oh, but everything's good. And that's our, that's our um, we, we tend to do that. But, but here, because of the hope that we find in Christ, we don't need to put a bow on top of our suffering. If indeed we are going through a painful season, we know that Christ has us in his grip and we can lament honestly. This is what Jeremiah does here. In verses 20 through 22. But he says, look, O Lord, and see. He goes on to ask, who else have you dealt with this way, Lord? After he looks at the devastation of Jerusalem, he says, God, who else have you dealt with like this? This is harsh. So he's honest. Though he knows that the destruction came because of their sin, it doesn't stop him from being honest and asking questions. Asking God, look, Lord, look at the devastation. Look at the destruction. And he goes on to describe to the Lord, should women eat the fruit of their womb, the, uh, of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priests and prophets be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtered without pity. You summoned as if to the day to a festival day, my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemies destroyed. Jeremiah didn't, didn't beat around the bush with his lament. He was honest. 
And not only that, but we can also lament honestly, but we can lament with hope. We can lament with hope, as I said, because we know Jesus has already done away with the devastation and destruction that was reserved for us who have trusted in him. We can lament similar to how Job lamented in in chapter 13 of Job, verse 15, where he says to God, "Though, though he slay me, even if God were to slay me, yet I will hope in him. He says, yet I will argue my ways to his face. You see that tension of saying, I trust in you, the one who, who might very well kill me, acknowledging that he is in divine control of all things, the one who may be inflicting um, a careful kind of pain in our life, even right now, to discipline or to grow us, the very one who at times brings us through suffering is the only one we can ultimately hope in. And he says, yet I will still argue my ways to his face. Job was honest, but he also had hope. And we remember the Lord's purpose. We remember that for those who have placed their trust in him, his purpose for us is now to do us the most good and to bring the greatest joy about in our hearts because it is then that he receives the greatest glory. And so, brothers and sisters, if you may be going through suffering right now, if you may be going through a difficult uh, time, whether it be from uh, things done to you or situations you're in or your own sin, you can have hope. You can have hope that God has done away with the destruction and there remains only grace. And we know that even in the most intense seasons of turmoil, of anxiety, of depression, of whatever other painful circumstance, he has promised to be with us. We can respond like Peter did in John 6, 66 through 69, where Jesus was uh, sharing some pretty hard things to hear. And then his disciples said, Jesus, man, those are some hard things you just said. And he said, hey, if you want to leave, because a lot of these crowds, they just walked away. And Jesus said, hey, if you want to go, you can go with them too. And Peter, Peter says this. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else could we go? Nowhere. The only refuge, the only one who's done away with the judgment due to us is Jesus. Because he took upon himself this punishment. We bear it no more. So in our lamenting, we can be honest and hopeful. And our response, both individually and even in our parishes, is to be a people that lament over our sin Don't downplay it or gloss over it. We lament together, lament the state of our neighborhoods, our our cities, and our nation, knowing God will act on behalf of his people to bring restoration and peace because he is faithful to his promise. And so remember, brothers and sisters, that, that because Jesus suffered judgment for us, we can lament with hope. Let's let's pray.
Father, we, we acknowledge that we are broken. We acknowledge that, um, God, we're in desperate need of you. We thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you, God, that ultimately you stood in the gap for us, God. While that tidal wave of judgment was coming to crash over us, Christ stepped in the gap and swallowed up all of that destruction that was due for us. So now, when we suffer, we can lament with hope, we can grieve with hope, knowing that you are with us, knowing that we are hidden in Christ. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.